Well, 2020 has gotten a bad rap, and, and rightly so, it was a terrible year. But it did give us a gift, and that is 2020 vision about what is most important in life, specifically relationships. And particularly, not just relationships in general, but the power of presence in relationships. So every kid that had to do online school on Zoom, he knows the power of presence. And not a gift you give someone, but being with someone as a gift. For all of you who had to work from home, you understand the power of presence like never before. If you missed coming to church or sporting events or concerts, you understand the power of presence. But even over Christmas, some of you weren't able to be with the people you loved because of COVID. I'm one of them. My kids were out of town. My parents, they live like 20 minutes down the road, but they called and said, hey, we're not really comfortable having you come over because of the rise of cases. Look, we understand it. So it was just me and my wife for Christmas, the two of us. So we, we made it a pact that on Christmas Day, we would not get out of our pajamas. I cannot confirm or deny that they, that may have lasted for three days. Fortunately, I, I love being around my wife, so it was actually kind of, kind of nice for us, but I recognize what for some is an inconvenience, for others is just devastating. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's, I had three friends tell me that they're separating towards divorce. Three. Because of the pressure of all that happened last year and their marriage. Now, some of you, like you're living that right now, you're separated. And if you were on stage, you would say, listen, the, the separation is just a public declaration of what has been reality for us for years. How is it possible? And we all know it is. How is it possible that we can live under the same roof with someone and be in two different planets? The pain that that has caused has made me passionate about this particular message. As I was doing the, the research for this message, just like digging into the Bible, looking at presence. Again, not a gift you give, but the, the gift of yourself, being with someone. I, I was looking at it, and one phrase kept coming up over and over again. I will be with you. So I was curious, who was promising to be with who? Two times is from the lips of Jesus before he died and rose again. Two times. And he says, this is, this is surprising. Jesus says, I will be with you only for a short time, and then I'm leaving. And of course, the disciples were distraught. You can't go. That's just devastating for us. And, and it was. But every other time in the Bible where you read, I will be with you, it is God promising to you, I will be with you. 24 of the 26 times is God's promise to Israel. When you go into the promised land, I'll be with you. When you come to worship in the temple, I will be with you. When enemies attack you, I will be with you. God's promised you, and I just, I just want to look you square in the eye right now. If you're, maybe you're watching this on demand on a treadmill, or maybe you're on a couch in your living room all alone. If you are isolated or separated, God will fill the void, and God will be with you. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we may ignore but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And whether you feel him or not, see him or not, sense him or not, God is with you and wants to be with you. And so I started thinking about the power of presence. 
And this message is all about relationships. That is your horizontal relationships, husbands, wives, sisters, brothers, parents, kids. We're gonna talk about relationships, but before we get into the horizontal, I wanna talk about the vertical relationship of God's presence with us because the way God is present with us is a model for how we can be present with the people we care about around us. Does that make sense? So the first thing we notice about God with us is God the Father is over us. Most of the time in the Bible when it says, I'll be with you, it is God the Father over us, watching, protecting us. And one of the promises, I personally, I think is the most powerful promise, comes out of Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. God has said, and he's quoting an Old Testament promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So you grammarians in the room, you're, you're thinking, yeah, that's two negatives, a double negative, never, never. Actually, in the original language, it's not a double negative. It's a quintuple negative. We don't even know how to translate that because it would be something like, I will never, no, not, nunca, niet, leave you. God is so intent on saying to you right where you are, I am with you and I'm never going away. So if you've been separated or isolated during COVID, just know God is with you. But specifically, God is over us for provision. Now all you parents, you, you get this. You kind of watch over your kids and you make sure they have what they need. You get them a little backpack when they go to their first day of school and make sure they have a bed and food and clothes and, and a roof over their head. But you also give them emotional and social support, discipline, wisdom, counsel, right? You're a parent, so you watch over your kids. And that's what God is doing for you. And I can just hear some of you going, yeah, I get that, but I'm still alone. God above is not enough. Now, if you feel awkward saying that, I mean, you're feeling it, but if you feel awkward saying it, let me just give you permission. God knows that's not enough. That's precisely why he sent his son, Jesus, to come to the earth to take on human flesh. Jesus was with us. He, he dwelt where we dwelt. He walked the paths that we walked. And since we just came out of Christmas, do you remember singing the Christmas carol, O Come, Come, Emmanuel? That's my favorite carol of all time. I love the chorus, but I also, it's because of the promise. In the Bible, 700 years before Jesus was born, it made this promise, and Matthew quotes it, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He translates this Hebrew word. Emmanuel, this word im, in Hebrew means with. El is the name for God of the Old Testament. Manu is us. So with us, God. And that is the name that was given to Jesus 700 years before he was born. He did the same kind of things that you and I do. He ate with people around a table. He walked with people. He, he gave people teaching, advice, counsel, loved people, healed people. But specifically, what Jesus did most for us is Jesus was with us for sacrifice. At the end of his life, he died on a cross as a payment for my sins and yours. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could be free and so that we could be found. That's how God 
is with us. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, that's great, but notice that Jesus was with us. He's not now. I know. In fact, remember earlier I said that Jesus said, I'm only going to be with you a short time. That was the night before he died. And in that very context, Jesus made a promise that we need to latch onto about the Holy Spirit in us. I want to let Jesus speak in his own words. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples the night he died. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He lives with you and will be in you. Now, this word advocate, it can be translated several ways. I think the best translation is actually coach. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do is not just to comfort you, he wants to coach you, to give you strength. Now, I know a lot of people, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, it can get a little weird. And we all got, have that uncle or cousin that like they're into it and they say, well, you need to experience the Holy Spirit in this way. Or, or maybe you've watched a televangelist and you go, that's just odd. Okay, I, I get that. Here's the good news. We don't have to judge anybody else's experience with the Holy Spirit, nor do they get to judge yours. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, he will meet you where you need to meet him. And so your experience may be different than mine. But here's what will always be the same with the Holy Spirit. He will empower you. The Holy Spirit is in us for empowerment. So if you've ever uh, been walking along and you think, I need, to, I need to call him or I need to call her, that prompting, that's not your cleverness. That's the Holy Spirit in you, strengthening you. Or if you've ever been in uh, throes of, of, of sadness, you've been overwhelmed and you think, I, I just, life is too thick. And suddenly you have this peace that passes understanding and it's, it seems supernatural. It's because it is. That's the Holy Spirit in you comforting you. Or if you've ever been going down a path that's destructive and you, like, you feel a, a twinge of guilt, like I need, to, I need to make a better decision. That's not your cleverness. That's the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit's role in you is to empower you. Not merely for you to be saved. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was with you for sacrifice to save you. The Holy Spirit is in you for empowerment so that you can save others. Now, what does all this have to do? Let's talk about God. What does all this have to do with our relationships with one another? Simply put, God over us, Jesus with us, the Holy Spirit in us is the model for how we should be present with people around us. So I wanna, I wanna take a turn in just a minute and talk about our horizontal relationships. But before I do, would you mind if I, I geek out in theology just one, one more minute, just, can I do that? I'm gonna tell you three words that theologians love to use to describe the nature of God. The first one is omnipotence, the big word. It's omni, all, potence, power. God has all power. Now, when we talk about the power of God, the omnipotence of God, we're very specific God has all power to create the world, to part the sea, to raise the dead. We're specific when we talk about his omnipotence. When we talk about his omniscience, that is all omni, science, knowledge, God has all knowledge, we're very specific and personal. 
God knows you at the molecular level. Do you know the Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb? He knows you. He, he knows the color of your eyes. He knows any genetic predisposition to a disease. The Bible even says that he has counted the hairs on your head, which for me, I'm not making him work that hard. <laughs> God knows your dreams, your fears, your failures. God knows you. So when we talk about God's omnipotence, it's specific. When we talk about his omniscience, it's personal. When we talk about his omnipresence, that's omni, all, presence, being present with us. When God is, when we talk about his omnipresence, it's no longer specific, it's kind of vague. And look it up in the dictionary, omnipresence, it will say it means God is everywhere. No. I mean, yes, it does mean that, but for us here, the more important meaning is not that God is everywhere, God is here. If you're watching on demand on a treadmill, God, God is with you right now. If you're on one of our campuses or in your own living room, God is with you now and always. And when we begin to personalize the presence of God, we'll begin to visualize how we can be present with others. God the Father is over us for provision. God the Son is with us for sacrifice. And God the Spirit is in us for strengthening us, for empowering us. So what does that mean in your relationships where you live, work, and play? Well, let me start with this. You can't be present without being available. Now, if I were to just be real honest with you, I, I can actually relate more to the presence of God the Father than God the Son or God the Spirit. For me, it's natural to provide for my family. And if I do say so myself, I've done a fairly decent job. Like we've never gone hungry, we, I pay the bills, our house is in good repair. In fact, one of my, my love languages, uh, with my wife especially, is acts of service. So if something breaks, I'm gonna make sure it gets fixed. That's providing, I get that. But I also get, and you do too, that that's never enough. If it wasn't enough for God, it won't be enough for you. We've been married for 36 years. And I, I think you'll get this. Sometimes you have highs, sometimes you have lows. I have always loved my wife. I haven't always liked her. Is that, did, did I say that out loud? Is that, am I the only one? Please, someone come along with me on this journey of self-defacing. At one of our low points, this is really probably the hardest thing my wife ever said to me. I've thought more about this and it's pained me more than anything she's ever said. At, at, at a point where we loved each other but didn't like each other, she said, I feel like we're roommates. Can anyone relate to that? You're living under the same roof but you're in two different worlds. Just being a provider is not enough. And if you go back and reflect on the theology of God, how God is present with us, we see that God the Father is over us for provision. But until you move, and I think I may be speaking specifically to men, but it could be women as well. Until you move to Jesus, Jesus was with us for sacrifice. And with our kids, we get this. 
You cannot be present with a child unless you get on the floor. Until you're eyeball to eyeball with them, you're not really present with them. And God understood this, so he sent Jesus to take on human flesh to be with us, to walk where we walked and, and eat what we ate and live how we lived. And with kids, it's kind of easier to do that because we know they have that need, but somehow with men and women, we get confused. And look, we know, women, you're weird. Like, you are. It's like you're from Venus. And men, you're so strange. It's like you're from Mars. Venus, like, somebody ought to write a book about that or something. We understand that we're different. And yet we're confused about why sometimes we don't connect. It is because we haven't acted like Jesus to enter into the other person's world to listen from their perspective, to try to understand their experience. No marriage will ever work until both of you act like Jesus and enter the other person's space and sacrifice some of your own preferences and your own desires. It just cannot work. You cannot be a, you cannot be present without being available, and you cannot be va available without being vulnerable. Let me flip the script a little bit, because I'm naturally a provider. My, my wife is naturally a nurturer. Case in point, I get up on New Year's Day like two hours after. She, she got up two hours earlier than me. I come into the kitchen to lemon ricotta pancakes. Like, who does that? A nurturer does that. My wife is pretty incredible at nurturing others. Not every sermon, but when she really feels like the sermon spoke to her, she will say to me, honey, that was, that was awesome. I'm just telling you, when my wife thinks I'm awesome, I'm ready to bull rush a grizzly. For those of you who are nurturers, I, you have a gift of empowering other people. You're so much like the Holy Spirit in that you give strength and comfort and guidance to everybody else. But you have a problem. And I hate to bring this up in public for you nurturers because you're such kind people, but I need to tell you straight. Often, not always, often, nurturers meet the needs of others because they need to be needed. And it's pretty easy as a nurturer to hide behind an apron, to not let your own feelings get out, or hide behind a counselor's desk and not allow others to know the pain of your past. Or maybe you hide behind some volunteer service or sacrificing for others. Here's the problem. When you are not vulnerable, you're not really available. All three of my friends between Thanksgiving and New Year's who have separated from their spouses, all three of them have a similar thread in their story. The men are all really good providers, but they haven't been present. And each of them hurt their wives. And it wasn't an affair, but they legitimately hurt their wife. And look, the story could be the other way. It could be the wives hurting the husbands. So this is not a male-female thing. This is an us thing. All three of them did something to damage the relationship, but it should not have been 
terminal damage. And the reason it was terminal damage is because they were married to a nurturer who kept the pain of her past hidden from her husband. And so when he sinned against her, she reacted, and he would say she overreacted because she wasn't just reacting to his sin. She was reacting to the culmination of his sin on top of all of the other pain of her past that he didn't even know about. He's paying the price for his own sin compounded with the interest of multiple other men that he never even met. You see the problem? If you are a nurturer, hiding your own pain from the person you love the most, you will ultimately set them up to fail. Because we're, we hurt people in relation, we do. But that pain, if compounded with others past, can be terminal when it doesn't have to be. And if you look theologically at this, the nurturers are like the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is in us for empowerment, and that's what nurturers do. You're good at that, but being like the Holy Spirit isn't enough. You have to become like Jesus. And Jesus entered our world with full vulnerability to be hurt. Now let me be crystal clear here because this is important. When I'm suggesting that you become vulnerable, I don't mean that you become vulnerable to future abuse, but you become transparent with your past pain because only then can the person you partner with fully understand how to react and your reaction to their behavior. And here's why this is so important. The Bible is such a brilliant textbook on human psychology. There are three Greek words for presence in the New Testament. Two of them simply mean to be face to face. Like you're in proximity to the other person. But one of them, and this is really genius. I want to share the Greek word with you. You might recognize it. Prosthesis. You go, wait a minute, isn't like a prosthetic, like a limb that you attach to someone who is an amputee, a leg, an arm. Yes, we borrowed this Greek word to describe something that is attached to you that you rely on as if it is your own body. I think that's actually a pretty good description of marriage. It is for me because I've come to rely on my wife and we are, we are one flesh. We are one person. And when you are not transparent about your past pain and you lose that person that you have relied on, you prosthesist that person, the pain of the second loss can be far greater than the pain of the first. Now, ha having said that, I need to say one more thing. You shouldn't be vulnerable without covenant. And what I'm about to say is difficult. I'm going I'm to speak to singles, and then I'm going to speak to married people. And so basically, I'm about to offend everybody. Okay? Buckle up. Singles, we're going to go first. The vast majority of singles prosthesis their lover long before they're married. In other words, you have sexual intimacy 
uh, with the person before you're married to them. This may sound old-fashioned. I hope it just sounds biblical. Because God's word reserves sexual intimacy to the confines of marriage. It is too powerful to be tinkered with outside the protection of a covenant. And I get it, I've heard so many couples that are living together say, well, we wanna make sure we're compatible for marriage. That would work if it worked. The problem is it doesn't. And I'm not just now talking about biblical truth, I'm talking about modern psychology. Jay Teachman is a professor at Western University in Washington. And he did a study of 6,500 women married between 1970 and 1995. 6,500, that's a lot. And he was looking for any predictors for divorce. Could we know who is going to get divorced based upon the behavior and lifestyle of 6,500 women? Irrefutably, undeniably, the answer is yes. And here's what Jay Teachman, this is not Christian, this is not even Bible, it's modern psychology. Your chances of getting divorced are in direct proportion to the number of sexual partners you had prior to marriage. See, it turns out that living together is not practice for marriage, it is practice for divorce. And listen, nobody's judging you here. Nobody's condemning you, nobody's pointing a finger at you. We're wanting to give you hope and help because the single most important relationship on this earth, it is also the most difficult relationship, is the relationship you have with a husband or wife. And the reason I say it's so important, and if you're single, we're not dismissing you at all. In fact, in fact, we recognize that as of today, this is the first time ever in American history, singles outnumber married adults. We value you here. And what I'm asking of you, this this whole idea of celibacy up to marriage, I'm not asking you to do anything that Jesus didn't do. I'm not asking you to do anything that isn't for your benefit. But I know what we're asking is so difficult, you cannot do it alone. And so in the past, just to be honest, we haven't done a great job with groups for singles. That's, That's changing. And it's changing on your campus. And if you are single and are tired of doing life alone, trying to figure out this whole thing alone, we want to help you connect with a group near you and for you that is specifically catering to singles. All you have to do to start one or join one is to connect with your associate pastor or your campus pastor because this is too big to be done alone. Now, singles, you can take a breath. I'm done with you. Now to married folks. What I'm about to say to you may be even more difficult to hear. Again, we're, we're not trying to judge anyone. We're not criticizing anyone. We just, we genuinely want what's best for you. And after hearing three of my friends get separated between Thanksgiving and New Year's, it's like it's, the pain is overwhelming for me to, to, to watch. We've got, we've got to retake territory in 2021 that was taken from us in 2020. Particularly because you realize this, that in the Bible, your marriage is viewed as a sermon. Ephesians chapter five, it says a man and a woman model the relationship of Christ and his church. Your marriage, whether you realize it or not, is preaching a sermon about God to your kids, to your neighbors, to your friends. 
No one's gonna preach this sermon correctly. Like we're all, we're all gonna have some messiness in it, but it is a sermon that at the basic level we need to get right because our marriages reflect the nature of God with his church. Okay, so for you married people, here's the word. Do you know how much time the average couple dating spends together talking? Every week, on the phone, email, I love you, I love you, you hang up first, no, you first. 15 hours a week, the average couple dating spends talking, not about calendars or doctor's appointments, about themselves. Is my hopes, my dreams, my fears. 15 hours a week. Once you get married, that drops precipitously. You know how much time the average married couple talks? I mean, again, not appointments, not calendars. You want to take a guess? Two hours a week. I can tell you from experience what that will do. It will make you a roommate, not a lover. And if you want to get your relationship right, the power of presence is now in 2020 clarity in our lives. I'm sick of what 2020 took from people. And I know you, church, CCV, you're ready to take territory in 2021, am I right? So I want to offer you, whether you're married, single, dating, siblings, friends, here are three things. These are not random. These are actual researched, well-thought-out activities that everyone can do so that you can reflect God over you, Jesus with us, and the Holy Spirit in us. The nature of God can be advanced by three simple activities. A daily activity, a weekly activity, a monthly activity. Are you ready? Here's my challenge. Every day, every day, around your table, no screens, no exceptions. For most of your day, you're side by side with people. But at the dinner table, it's the, it's some families, it's the only time you're face to face. Do not rob the face to face presence by a screen that gets in the way. Weekly. And, and I'm not good at this. This is going to be a big change for me and my wife. We're going to have one day a week where there is no TV in the evening. No exceptions. We can play a game, we can take a walk, we can ride a bike, we can hike a mountain, it doesn't matter. But we are going to be face to face and not side by side watching something. Third challenge, a daily challenge, no screens at the table, a weekly challenge, no TV for one night a week, and a, and a, a monthly challenge, a day date. Now here's why a day date and not an evening date. Evening dates typically are dinner and a movie. Again, dinner is face to face, but a movie is side by side. A day date tends to be like, I don't know, a museum, or a drive, or a walk, or a hike. Those are face-to-face -face activities. And if we want to practice the presence, like God the Father who is over us, that's not enough. We have to be Jesus who is sacrificial. And, and being a servant to others, like the Holy Spirit empowering others, that's not sufficient. Th this, the encourager also needs to be sacrificial, to be vulnerable with their pain. Otherwise, we will neglect the most powerful relationships that God has given us. It's time to take territory in 2021. Holy Father, I wanna pray for my friends that are separated right now. I, I pray that as you heal each one of them, 
that their relationship could be restored for your glory, not theirs, for your glory. And I pray for the thousands of marriages and for the thousands of singles who are in relationship that we would do it your way and not our way. That we would allow the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to invade our space so that we could join you in your space of health and healing and productivity for your kingdom. I pray, Holy Father, that this year would be anointed by you in our church, that things would be so inexplicably powerful that none would believe it came from anywhere but the very hand of God. It is in the presence and the power of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. Let's go out and make Jesus famous in 2021. <laughs>